Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 30 of the Regenerate Millennial Podcast. I am absolutely pleased to be joined by my good, dear brother, Jordan, who happens to also be my pastor at our local church. Today, we are going to tackle the basics of hermeneutics. What does hermeneutics even mean? Why is it important? And what are some basics for this first episode that we can apply and use in our own lives in order to read God's word more faithfully, in order that we may worship him for who he is, who the Bible says he is, and that we can fall deeper and deeper in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the whole entire point. I pray that you guys are blessed by the conversation, and I thank you again for your support every single uh, podcast that comes out, your kind words. It really means a lot to me. But as always, and I will always say this, to God be the glory and for his glory alone. Let's get started. Jordan, welcome back to the podcast. It's been way too long. It has. Good to be here, brother. Thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, good Good to be here in your humble abode and uh, really happy that we can sit down and, and chat again. It's been way too long. I know you've had some, some sickness go through your home. We've had some sickness go through our home, but um, thankfully we're all better now. So. Survivors. Yes, we are definitely survivors. Um, yeah, so... Super, super excited to, to dive into uh, what we're going to talk about on this episode. And what we are going to talk about is hermeneutics. We're going to go through uh, some of the basics on how to read your Bible. Uh, but before we get into the how to read your Bible basics, Jordan, if I could ask you, could you give us a, uh, a nice, clear and concise, maybe uh quick but not too quick version take your time on why hermeneutics are important well first of all i i think even though we're going to go through this uh after i think we should maybe first define what hermeneutics even is Mm -hmm. like what is it what does that word even mean because maybe someone's listening to this and they're like i've never heard that word before yeah that's important absolutely man yeah so hermeneutics is a fancy christian word uh that means basically if you're going to go up to someone who's really doesn't have any understanding of Christianity or all the click phrases and whatnot. Uh, it basically means, here's how I read the Bible. Here's how I interpret it. And so hermeneutics is how to read your Bible, and so or how you read the Bible. So basically any person with a normal intelligence uh, using sound principle principles of hermeneutics under the illumination of the Holy Spirit can understand and apply 
God's word. Gotcha. To our lives, yeah. Perfect. I think that's a nice, simple uh, definition to start it out. So don't be afraid of the big, fancy words. They're, they were new to me uh, as well at, at a certain time in my life. So, um, yeah, it's that's a great, great uh, quick explanation, I think, of what the word actually means. Uh, so why is it important? Why are correct or proper or sound hermeneutics, whatever you want to call it, why are they important to us the Christian. Yeah, or why real? Why should they be important to us, right, mm-hmm. as well? Uh, I think if I were to narrow it down, I was thinking about today, is that hermeneutics are really the heartbeat of a local church. Uh, and so, you know, there might be a recant to that rebuttal. No, 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 Jesus is the, the heartbeat of a local church, right? And then, but if I looked back at you and I said, well, what do you mean by Jesus? Yeah. Right? And then maybe you gave your answer, maybe you have a good answer, uh, and then... I say, well, how did you get there? How did you get that answer, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to go to the Bible, um, not just point to it, but you have to point to it in context. You have to point to it uh, using sound hermeneutical rules. Uh, and so it's really, um, yeah, the heartbeat of like really the unity of a church on not just that I read the Bible. Anyone can, you know, just read the Bible, right? For sure. Like, yeah. Muhammad or, or the Mormon or yep. whatever, right? They can read the Bible. But the more important question to do you read it is how do you read it, mm-hmm. right? Like what what do you think of it? Uh, what authority do you give it? What what power do you give it, right, in your life? And so uh, I saw heard this one analogy once in regards to like unity of the church. Uh, and I believe in regards to hermeneutics is like say there's like a tuning fork right, for a piano, you know, when you hit it and it goes, and then you can tune your um, piano to it. But if you carry that tuning fork around to like 100 pianos, all of a sudden, all the pianos are being tuned not to each other, but to that tuning fork. So they're actually becoming the same tune because they're looking at the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're getting their guidance off the same tuning fork. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's really hermeneutics in the church is we're all being tuned to how we understand scripture, mm, right? How yeah. we, how we approach it. And so, um, I got a few more points here, but yeah, can, no, go on. If, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Keep, keep going. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, something that hermeneutics, it plays a part in all our doctrine. And so right now, so during this, this pandemic thing, uh, some churches are open, some churches are closed. Yeah. Why? Hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. Because of how they read the Bible. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, right? Some churches do this, some churches do that. It's because of hermeneutics. Uh, it's so what hermeneutics do as well, and our flesh actually, our fallen flesh actually really hates the idea of hermeneutics, because we want to come to the Bible and basically twist it to make it how we want it to be said right yeah uh and not just that but we want to we want to do it in such a way where you can't come up against me and say i'm incorrect or something and we want to create this like defense right but what hermeneutics does is it holds people accountable and ourselves to a set of how to's when it comes to reading the scripture and so not now i'm not just holding people accountable to you know what they think of scripture but how they got there yeah that's really important uh, and so really hermeneutics is, 
is also super communal. It's, it's super communal uh, in, in the church. It teaches us how to view God correctly. And that's mm-hmm. really Paul's charge in 1 Corinthians, that we would be of one mind. And so it's, it's, not, it's not enough to ask, you know, do you read the Bible? But, but really, how do you read it? And honestly, if we don't have a, a way of reading the Bible, if we don't understand it, then we can come up with anything we want. Mm-hmm. We that's really right. can, right? And that's a, that's a scary place to be. And so I believe that the, some of the, one of the major skills that the church needs to learn today is, is how to read the Bible. Just, yeah. just how to read it, right? Learn about it. I know I was never never taught it until recently, you know, joining uh, joining our church that, that we're in together. Um, yeah, I, I never, I was never really taught it. And it, it was almost treated like this thing that was reserved for seminary or Bible college or pastors. Right. But it's not. It's, it's what every single Christian, whether you're a baby Christian drinking milk or you're you're a veteran Christian eating a, eating spiritual steak, so to speak. It's it's super important to know how to read, and we all need to be taught it because we we all need to be good theologians. Because right. if someone comes to me or comes to you or comes to the church, yeah, and they say, "Well, you claim Jesus is Lord, why?" Right. Like we need to to be able to to mount some kind of not that we have to defend Christ necessarily, but we we need to be able to back up what we believe otherwise why would we believe it and we, right. and there has to be there has to be a a correctness and of course we're not always going to get it perfect we're never going to get it perfect this side of heaven but that desire and that trajectory towards i want to know god i want to know christ i want to know the holy spirit as as good as i possibly can and i want to submit to scripture for for the sake of um his glory not for the sake of my intelligence being lorded over someone else or me being able to beat someone up theologically or intellectually, but for the sake of God's glory and out of obedience to his word, right? Like we got to get, we got to know him. And how do we know him? We read our Bible. But there has to be some kind of way to read it. Like, for example, my, my wife, Sean, she can't eat spicy food. She's allergic to it. And we've been married for eight years. And if I were to meet a new friend or someone on the street and they said, you're married, tell me about your wife. And I said, one thing I can tell you about my wife, Sean, is she loves spicy food. She loves it. Well, obviously I'm, I'm incorrect. And I don't, I, I claim to have a relationship with my wife, but I don't know anything about her. If I think that she loves spicy food when she actually physically can't eat it. Right. And that's, it's a simple analogy, but it's one that keeps me grounded when I when it comes to hermeneutics, when I think about hermeneutics, when I think about reading the Bible and and why we we do it is is to know God, to make him known, right? To 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 eat that daily bread that the scripture talks about so that we can feed others. Yeah. And you have a few like as you're speaking there, I'm hearing like a few hermeneutical presuppositions about the scriptures in the sense that you believe that God can be specifically known. Yes. Right? Yes, that, I do. Yeah, that God clearly spoke in such a way that we can say, this is what he means. Yep. Right? Uh, and those are, those are faith claims, right? Mm-hmm. And we're claiming that God wrote a certain way. He inspired men to write certain ways, right? 
and we're going to get into that. There's there's different genres in the Bible. If mm-hmm. I don't know that, man, right? Like I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna read them all as if they're one genre, right? right. As we do in in the West a lot of the times. Uh, but also, you're talking about someone comes to us, but like someone comes to us as a church. Like the the analogy I kind of thinking of right now is like thinking about a husband and wife when it comes to when it comes to raising a child. They they need to be on the same page mm-hmm. in raising that child. And so if if a new believer comes or a, a baby, the church needs to be on the same page when it comes to here's how we view God and here's how the Bible teaches clearly how we are to be, right? Yeah. And so it really it should inform really everything we do in regards to the commentaries I read. It should inf- I, I want to read commentaries that uh, use solid hermeneutics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, historical hermeneutics that have mm-hmm. been passed down, right? Uh, and so it really affects everything we do. And that's where a lot of the, actually the creeds came out of is, and that's why creeds can be so helpful. Uh, not that they're never above scripture, not even close, (laughs) but what creeds are answering is here is how the Bible is to be understood. Right. Right. Not that you're just, what does it say, Mm -hmm. but what does it mean? Yeah. Right. By what it's saying. And so. Um, so creeds are really just the culmination of really like good creeds, <laughs> really yeah. good, solid hermeneutics that, that are held accountable, um, to that group of men who hold to those solid hermeneutics. Right? right. Yeah. That makes me think of, uh, like the Westminster confession, uh, the 1689 London Baptist confession. It's, and I, I have all these in one of my study Bibles and I love just going through them cause it's like. Uh, creation, God, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, etc. And it's just like, this is this is what we believe the Bible clearly teaches. And then they back it up with Scripture. Yeah. Because Scripture is the highest authority, of course. Right. And I can't trust anyone who doesn't have a hermeneutical system. Mm. Right. I can't I can't put weight on their interpretation because what am I holding them to? Like, what if they change their mind the next day on how they're going to read this text? Yeah. Right. And so what hermeneutics does is it brings in. It's an art and a science, right? It has rules, but the more we do it, the better we get, right? Yep. Uh, putting those forms together. And so uh, hopefully we made our, pay, our point or our case. I think we did. You know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if not, give us a call. <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. But the importance, like we need to ch- teach the church how to read the Bible. Uh, and that's something that the Reformation was uh, so vitally important on, is they, is before the Reformation, the the the, the priests wouldn't allow the people to read the Bible on the basis of, oh, not anyone could just read the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to listen to our interpretation mm-hmm. with our hermeneutics, right? And then the reformers came and gave the Bible back to the people, right? To say, no, you can read it, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, and here's how to read it. Like, how, I think we'd be super arrogant to say, well, and here's the normal excuse today. Well, I have the Holy Spirit, so I don't need these. Uh, I'm good. I can I can I can just read it, figure out what it says on my own. Right. Uh, super arrogant position. Uh, and so but now what's happening is and I'm sure I've said this before, but now the, the people in the pews are giving the Bible, giving the hermeneutics all back to the pastor and the pastor's just allowing it and mm-hmm. not equipping the saints for ministry. Yeah. And that's one of the ways you equip the saints for ministry is teaching them legit hermeneutics solid hermeneutics right right? because then then they can actually grow in their faith where they're not guessing 
is this what God means? But they have all the, not all, but they have so many more tools now to have so much more confidence. This is what God is saying. Now I know, now I know what to do. Now I can do it in my life, right? And it's such a confidence, and I don't mean confidence in an arrogant way, but it's a faith booster where it's like, man, this is what he meant. Yeah. (laughs) Right? This is what he means. That makes me think of uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul's writing uh, 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 instructions to pastor elder Timothy. And he says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for all manner of teaching and reproof so that the so that the man of God would be fully equipped for every good work. He doesn't say so that, even though he's writing to Timothy, who is an elder and a pastor, but he doesn't say so that pastors can be. He said the man of God and man being man or woman, so that the brother or sister in Christ could be fully equipped. So the sufficiency of Scripture plays into absolutely everything and the authority of Scripture, of course. And that's one thing, obviously, on this podcast that, I harp on all the time is the supremacy of the word um, because I didn't care about that for 28 years of my life. Uh, but to add, not to add to that verse, of course, but um, what I would say is, yes, it's sufficient, but we got to know what we're doing. <laughs> right. And that's what we should really care about, like in a sense, uh, to, to, to drive it home here. It's like, I don't, we shouldn't really care what you what you say it means we should care about your work like show your work how did you get there yeah that's what hermeneutics is is showing your work how did you get there Mm. right and if you can't faithfully show that your opinion really doesn't have any weight yeah right like how did i get here what rule hermeneutical rules did i use that i didn't uh neglect right because if you neglect rules in one place and not in another place you're inconsistent in your interpretation Mm -hmm. right and you can't really thrive as a christian with inconsistent hermeneutics. You just yeah. can't, or the lack thereof, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one more question before we, we get into the how to read your Bible portion. Um, these, these things that we're gonna go through uh, right, after, right after this, why do we hold, if you could give a brief explanation or a brief answer, why do we hold to, to these, these being the, the way that we should do it. Right, yeah, um, give a brief answer on yeah. that, yeah. I know it's tough. No, it's okay. So uh, there's actually a title for the method that, that I teach. I believe it's obviously the most accurate, most historical, most huge, you can go all the way back to the church fathers and how, uh, and they're a really good place to go. So, that, so some of the church fathers were um, like the apostles' disciples, right? Like the Polycarp, Clement of Rome, these guys, and they're really good to read because they're literally telling us what John meant or, you know, what the apostle meant that they sat under, right? Yep. Uh, really good resources. And so what we do when we read these guys is we can start seeing how they read Scripture, how they understand Scripture, and the things that they don't uh, move on, they don't uh, change, and they hold to these rules and basically the rules of solid hermeneutics are based on the character of god and so he doesn't change right so that must mean that the same god who wrote genesis wrote revelation which means there has to be character traits throughout the scriptures of how god writes right and so that's why we use the hermeneutical rule scripture best interprets scripture yeah right and so we should move on um 
sometimes I read scripture and I'm just not sure basically what the fuller meaning is or what the, the, I don't really know what it means sometimes, right, obviously. And so I shouldn't lose heart, but I should move on expecting that another part of scripture is going to bring more clarity to that part of scripture if that's something actually I need to know. Because sometimes yeah. I ask the Bible questions that's not trying to answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, and so it's called the historical grammatical method, okay? Um, and that's just common, I want to say common sense. It's a cop-out phrase, but uh, <laughs> let me explain that. Like, historical. Well, God wrote in a time, in a certain language, to a certain people using certain authors in different cultures. Yes. Different languages, right? Different genres. And, different genres, yep. right? Um, different well, audiences. Well, that would fall under the grammatical, right? right? So historical grammatical. So he wrote in a time a certain way, hmm. grammatically. So now... I want to, as a good exegete, as someone who employs solid hermeneutics, is I want to know the historical setting. I want to know the context. I want to know what kind of grammar he used. I want to know what the author meant to say, right? Mm -hmm. These things. And so, yeah. um, so, like I said before, it should affect how we read commentaries. And so, if there's commentaries, like the more you read commentaries, the more you'll pick up on their hermeneutics, right? You'll see with the solid commentaries, there'll be way more cross-references than... Expounding explanation, if you will, right? Yeah. Like, here's what God says over here to clarify this point that He said over here, mm-hmm. right? And they really save you a lot of time in the sense of, uh, like, I learned the other day from commentary that the Book of Revelation has like seven uh, phrases of blessings or verses of blessings scattered throughout it. You know, I might never know that yeah. if I just read it. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, so they they. They, they'll see things that we don't see and really tie things together to really give us a super clear understanding of what's going on mm. in the context. Yeah. I think that was a really good answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I do. I believe you. Yeah, uh, good, good, thanks. And something I, something I like to keep in mind, and of course you and I both love bikes. We actually met riding motorcycles, and we share a love for doctrine, theology, um, our Lord, and of course motorcycles we've mentioned them before on this channel like so nine years ago or whatever when I started motorcycling I just went and bought a bike like anyone can really get a license it's not that hard if you can pass a little cone test you can get a license you go buy whatever bike you want and anyone can hop on a motorcycle like I did this is exactly what I did with no training pretty much twist twist the throttle and go right I can go around a corner I can brake I can accelerate I can lean over however nine, 10 years later, when I've taken some professional training and you follow someone who is excellent in that field, like I did at a racetrack, and they follow you and then they say, you are getting around the corner, you are accelerating, you are braking, but here's how we can do it more excellently. Here's a better way. And there's yeah. rules. Yeah. Right. This is when you break. This right. is how much pressure there's you apply. There's a science to it, man. When you're leaned over at this angle, you do not apply throttle unless mm. you want to go flying in the air and get bucked <laughs> off your bike. Right, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, there's a certain point where if you're not braking, you're going to run off the track. You're going to go wide on the corner. You're going to crash. There's, there's specific set-in-stone rules to riding a motorcycle in a more excellent way. Mm. So anyone, like you said, can open the Bible, yeah. just read it, whatever. Yeah. But there, there is a more excellent way. And just like I wanted to be more excellent at motorcycle riding, to have more fun, to be safer, whatever. Yeah. So I went and sought that out. So we can seek out 
commentaries like you were mentioning from from old dead guys that are way smarter and wiser and know more theology than we ever will and these rules that go back and I like how you said it goes back to the church fathers this is not something that 50 years ago was drummed up or yeah. or even 500 years ago yeah it really goes back to Jesus when yeah. he interprets scripture but that's a cop-out so I don't want to you know what I mean <laughs> everyone says yeah. their interpretation goes back to Jesus but I mean <laughs> exactly exactly put it past that exactly. but now I'm better writer because I follow you as well right and what you're saying there is a better way and I think one of the traits of what makes it better is that there it they have these rules have stood the test of time. Yeah. Same with motorcycling, right? Yep. They've, oh, yeah. they've stood the test of time. And so theologians who, who stand the test of time, like throughout the last, you know, 2000 years or whatever, they're cons they stand that long or whatever I'm trying to say is because they're super consistent mm -hmm. in their hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not consistent, then you're discarded over a very short amount of time. And you're going to crash. Yeah, you're going to crash. Yeah. There you go, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like one of my my favorite basketball coach ever, he's from the West Coast here. Um, he, he would come in uh, to our team and all he would do, he wouldn't let us touch the basketball for six weeks until we understood how to touch the basketball. Hmm. And I think that's super important. And that's what I personally employ in our hermeneutics classes for six weeks. We don't even really touch the Bible except for the odd example here and there. Yep. But we're just learning how to touch it right. before we pick it up. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I think that's actually a perfect transition. Perfect transition. That's we, right. <laughs> we, it's almost like we planned it. I think that's a perfect <laughs> transition to uh, let's get into to this is like the basics here. This is the, the yeah. first of, uh, of a few parts. How to read your Bible. Um, you're, you did mention this earlier, but I, I think it's definitely worth a recap. Hermeneutics. Uh, any person of normal intelligence using sound principles under the illumination of the Holy Spirit can understand and apply what God's Word says. That's comforting, man. Isn't it? Totally. <laughs> it's not a guess. We're not dealing with relativism here. Yep. We're defending against it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, what's what's the intent uh, when we're when we're reading the Bible and we're opening it? What yeah. are what are we looking for? Yeah. So these are we're going to get into some overarching. We're not going to deal with genres right now. Just overarching hermeneutical rules that you can use on any genre. Okay. And so our intent is to find the original meaning of the text. The original meaning of the text. Uh, so until we know what it meant or what it means to the audience to that time we actually can't apply it to our scripture so right that like there's sometimes in sermons there's like all this application right mm -hmm. like you know but it's actually really easy to do application to make that switch once you've done a solid exegete using sound terminical principles right right yeah yeah um and you you mentioned uh solid exegesis and I think uh, I have it actually written here on the side of my little note uh, my little notes here um, eisegesis versus exegesis the, here's a couple more like yeah. big Christianese kind of words um, why They're don't we important yeah. why don't we define them so yeah um, what's what is what's eisegesis let's start with that 
Yeah, so eisegesis is when I have a preconceived notion of what I think a text should mean, hmm. and I read that into the text. Okay. Right. I bring my, my presupposition from North American understanding right. uh, 2,000 years later, and I impose it on the text. So that would be the opposite of exegesis. Okay. So a good way to remember eisegesis for the listeners is it's, it sounds like I at the beginning, even though it's... <laughs> uh, so it's I, I'm putting me onto the text. Mm-hmm. And so exegesis is when I'm trying to exercise the text or expose the text. And so that's the careful, systematic study of the scriptures to discover the original meaning or the intended meaning. That's exegesis. That's exegesis. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're bringing... You're seeing what the text says and using that as your your go-to. Like, what mm-hmm. does it mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just you're trying to understand what it's saying, and so you're actually um, you're being a detective, uh, but not you're trying to be super careful, and it's really hard to do to not impose what you think it should be right. saying. But instead, exegesis is is saying what is it saying? Right. That's what so it's, it's not what I think it means. It's what does it mean? Yeah, using the rules of uh, or some hermeneutical principles. For yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. Another way I remember it too is when I open the Bible, I'm called to submit to it because it is God's word, his right. voice, uh, his instruction to me. It is not called to submit to me. Right. Right? So yeah. that's that's another way that I remember. Yeah, it should form Eisegesis you. versus exegesis, yeah. exactly. You shouldn't form it, yeah. Um, you mentioned, uh, you did mention earlier briefly, but I want to, I want to, unpack it a little bit here that hermeneutics is both a science and an art um in can you can you tell us in what way is it a science and is and in what way is it an art yeah so when you're doing science you're following rules right the scientific method right Mm -hmm. um doesn't seem like it these days but uh (laughs) no it sure doesn't (laughs) but it used to be if you don't use the scientific method it, it doesn't matter what you say, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, it has to be observable, measurable, duplicatable, right? If these things aren't, you're, you're not being scientific, yep. right? And so when we put that to hermeneutics, uh, we're, we're, what we're saying when we say there's a science, just like on the bike, there's actual ways of doing things. There's actual understanding of this, the text, that there's, there's actually genres that, that mean something according to my interpretation. There's actually different styles of writing, um, imposed on it. So I'm learning, you know, Hebrew poetry. I'm learning uh, how they spoke. And these are specific rules, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the art part, the art part, uh, <laughs> the, the analogy I like to use is when, I'm, when, I, when I went to a few classes of Jeet Kune Do, because I'm like a very natural uh, fighter, if you will, when I was in mixed martial arts. I'm very natural in the sense of how I move, very little form, if you will. Uh, but when I went into Jeet Kune Do, which is what Bruce Lee basically invented, uh, he does have uh, solid forms that when you're first learning them, they're like super awkward because they don't flow with how you've how I've flowed for the last mm. 15 years. You know what I mean? Now I'm like, yeah. I have to retrain myself to get in these positions because they're actually very solid positions to move from, right? Like very good balance, very good everything, right? Um, but as time went on, I learned to flow and make those forms a part of who I am and my fighting style. And so when we first come to hermeneutics and we're learning all these rules and like, we're like, oh, it's like awkward as heck. But the more you do it, the more your art's going to come out. You're going to flow in and out of those forms easier and easier. And so what my mom would say that I live by uh, in many times of my life is first you get good, then you get fast. Yeah. 
So the part of getting good is learning the science, those forms, learning the rules, and then you get fast and you flow in and out of them, you, you apply them here, you, and you're just getting quicker and quicker. And one of the best ways to do that is really watching, uh, and watching how common, solid commentaries write. You see how they naturally flow through the hermeneutical rules. So. Mm, that's good, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, let's talk about AIM. It's a good acronym. Mm -hmm. it, it helps us remember the AIM. Yeah. So one of the AIMs when we come to uh, our Bibles, when we open it up, is to find the AIM, the, the A-I-M. Yeah, the author's intended meaning. Yeah. Uh, this also includes like how the audience heard it because they'll be speaking the same tongue and whatnot, the same language. But so what does Paul, right? I remember listening to a sermon on Romans 1, verse 1, first word, right? Uh, <laughs> Paul, right? Yeah. There's this whole sermon on who was Paul, right? <laughs> Super helpful going into the rest of the book of Romans, like how he thought being Hellenistic coming from Tarsus where he's half mm. Gentile, half Jew culture, right? right? And how he talked that super helpful knowing how the author spoke because even though the Holy Spirit inspired him completely, he inspired through Paul's personality and his experiences as well. Absolutely. And that's a mystery. And so it's really helpful to know what what is Paul thinking, if mm. you will, mm -hmm. when he says this. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not some kind of like uh, out of body experience where where Paul is thrusted to the back of his mind and the Holy Spirit takes a hold of his body and just starts yeah. writing. Grabs the pen in his hand. Yeah, and just, not yeah. A, yeah not at all. It's right. it's it's both and. It's yeah. it's the Holy Spirit wrote thirteen epistles. Paul wrote thirteen epistles. Right. So uh, yeah, and, and we can say what is what is God trying to say in this passage? We can also say what is Paul trying to say. Absolutely. In this passage? And once we know that then we can move on to application. But we mm. cannot move on to application until we know what the author's intended meaning was. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, ne the next point I have here uh, in my notes is context. And I, I do like your analogy that you give. So uh, would you mind sharing that, the, the analogy about the horn with us? Yeah, I was just driving one day. Uh, I was actually here in our city. <laughs> Wherever that is. <laughs> Wherever that is. Uh, <laughs> not Zion, so who cares? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we've had this experience, those who have our license for a while, and we're just driving along, and all of a sudden we hear a horn. Someone starts beeping, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we instantly do? We're like, who's doing that, right? The aim, yep. <laughs> right? Who's doing that? Who is he doing it to, right? The audience, and we're so narcissistic that we're like, oh, <laughs> like when it comes to the Bible anyway, right? Like Paul's... <laughs> Thinking with Jordan Kenor in mind, right? Yeah, whatever, exactly. Right? Um, <laughs> but, and we do that when we drive too, don't we? Oh, yeah. You hear a horn, you're like 98% sure that's on you. Right? Yeah. Um, you're, and so you're trying to figure out the context and the intended meaning of that horn, mm -hmm. right? And so that's context. And so, you know, hermeneutical teachers will t tell you that the three most important parts of hermeneutics is context, context, context. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, you're trying to find the context of, of what's going on. So the setting, the historical setting, the author, the, the audience, the tone, all these things, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, we have a couple good examples of context, but they're, I don't know how easy they are to explain um, <laughs> Try it. Try in it. audio. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, 
what the heck? That didn't make any yeah, sense. Just fast forward the next just, uh, 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, or send me, a, send me a message and I'll send you, send you the picture that I have here in front of me. That's right. So there's a picture I have here in front of me and it's, a, and it's a sign, like a sign that you would see on the side of a road or maybe in a parking lot and it says no football coaches. And it's one of the things that we use and I definitely didn't get this the first time I went through, through hermeneutics class. I didn't get the context of it which I definitely should have, and here's a hint, because I actually met my wife while living in the United Kingdom. So I should have maybe thought about this. But in Canada, if you think about a sign, if there was a sign in Canada or the US that that said no football coaches, well, that wouldn't make any sense to us. Pretty discriminatory, really. Yeah, totally. Why why aren't people who coach coach American football allowed here? Right. Like, what on earth is this? person who made the sign trying to convey here however in the context that this that this picture is in of the sign that says no football coaches if you think about well what if that sign was in the united kingdom or new zealand or australia where they where football to them means soccer and a bus to them is a coach so this is a sign in maybe a parking lot or on the side of the road wherever it is that is forbidding uh, buses that hold soccer players to park in that particular area or to maybe drive through that particular area. So until you know the context, oh, this sign's in the United Kingdom where this actually means something different in their tongue, if you want to say, even though they speak English, sort of. Even though it's written in English. Exactly. It's written in English, but to the Canadian, to the American, it doesn't make sense. To the Brit, to the Aussie, to the Kiwi, it makes total sense. Yeah, so that shows how important and how easy it is to go astray without the context, right? Mm-hmm. And so what hermeneutical rules do is they help us to find the things that make the context clear. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, are, are we alone though? <clears throat> like when we open our Bibles, is it just like, is that it? Like we're just left to our own devices or do we have, do we have an ally? Do we have someone yeah, yeah. helping us, illuminating the scripture to us? Yeah, man. John 14, 26, right? I'm going to send you the helper who will teach you all things and remind you of all that I taught you. That's mm-hmm. Jesus speaking, right? Yeah. And so, like part of our definition, right? Under the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, hermeneutics, uh, faithfully applied, can, cannot be faithfully applied without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a good study. We probably won't get into that today. No. That's, what, a, that's a whole other thing. But what, yeah. the, what the word illumination means, right? right? Uh, what I will say really quickly is that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't uh, do away with the mind. Mm-hmm. He actually empowers the mind. He empowers, if you will, the rules of hermeneutics, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That we know and have learned, okay? Mm-hmm. And so he makes scripture real to our heart not just our mind yeah if you will yeah there's and there's another note here um that's saying right right after this point about the holy spirit being our ally when we come to the word to illuminate it uh to our minds and to our hearts uh it says the bible is is just like the incarnation that it's both human and divine that's right what does what does that mean though yeah so jesus when he became flesh put on flesh we call that the incarnation. So where God became man, he incarnated into earth, into flesh, if you will. And so um, so when we're reading about Jesus, we want to keep in mind all the time that 
he is truly human and he's truly God, mm -hmm. right? When we're studying scripture, we have to continually keep in mind that it is truly human and it is truly divine. Mm -hmm. So you can't cancel either of those out at any time. That's why we want to learn about Paul, because we can't cancel out the human. That doesn't mean it's a, a um, now it's fallible or something, right? But that God r literally wrote through a human, right? Yeah. Uh, with like, like he said, he didn't take over the controls in the mind or whatever, right? Like, mm -hmm. and he's a puppet, right? But that he was, as he was carried along, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when someone carries you, you're, you're there, right? <laughs> Cognitively, and, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so the Holy Spirit, and that's a, that is a mystery that does take faith. It really does. Uh, that's a hermeneutical, uh, basically foundation. If we want to get to solid hermeneutics, we've got to have the faith that even though it is truly human and truly divine, it has that human aspect that God is so sovereign, so powerful, so wise that he can use broken men to expand his fixed word. Mm. <laughs> right. So it's important to have both of those in mind. Absolutely. Um, since we're on the topic of the Holy Spirit uh, and his role in, in illumination and in, in hermeneutics, um, why don't we go through a few myths about the role of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I think it's really important. Obviously, it's you know, why I put it on the overarching rules, uh, just because mainly of our day. So kind of trying to contextualize hermeneutical rules to our day, because this is kind of a new phenomenon, actually. Basically, at like the turn of the century, where it's like, or the ninth, like 18th to the 19th, um, where all of a sudden this, the Holy Spirit becomes this like um, access to basically, basically an, another excuse for Gnosticism, yep. where it's like I have a hidden knowledge mm -hmm. because I have the Holy Spirit, and yep. if you come against what I'm saying, then you're going against God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's a that's a big claim. It, yeah, it's a that's big a really claim, big claim. Right. And what that does is it does away with the mind. Mm -hmm. It does away with um, reason. Does away with logic. All these things that God gave you to worship Him with. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. so there's just a few myths I put on here. Uh, do you want me to just like kind of pick and choose a few, or what? What do you think? Um. Yeah. I I'd like to go through as many as as we can. But yep. uh, yeah. Whatever. Go ahead and yeah. go ahead and pick. Pick one and, and let's, uh, let's... I'll pick one, you pick the next one, and we'll... Sounds good. Tag team it. <laughs> yeah, okay. let's do that. Yeah, so uh, so one of the myths is that the Holy Spirit does not give new revelation on par with Scripture. Hmm. And so one of the beliefs of solid hermeneutics is that the canon, the Bible, the revelation of God has ceased. Yes. In, in, this, in that specific way. And so... Uh, so he doesn't give new on par with scripture. And so if mm. someone comes to you with something God told them in brackets, if you will, and but the <laughs> scriptures co contradict that using sound hermeneutics, then they're wrong because scripture wins. That's right. right. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict what Jesus said. He'll remind you of all that I taught you, right? Jesus created all things, mm -hmm. including the word, right? Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's the first one. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, you did you did mention this uh, briefly before, but uh, the Holy Spirit does not give one person new insights that no one else has. And you mentioned the word Gnosticism, right. which essentially means hidden knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so, if if you, the listener, and this is me too, 
If someone claims to know something about God that has not been revealed in Scripture, flee. Run for your life. Right. And this is, this is something that is really, really common in our Western Christianity. It's something that I employed myself uh, for years. And essentially it equals arrogance. It's yeah. like, well, I'm special enough that God showed me something that wasn't revealed to the church through the word, to the bride, bride of Christ through his word. And now it's my duty because God told me this specific thing. Now I get to be the one who tells you this. Yeah. And it's a very convenient. Look position. at me. Yeah. Like, look at how God Super. uses me yeah. with this hidden knowledge. Run from that. Yeah. And you and I can't say you're wrong. You know what I mean? Because God told you. Right? Exactly. So you've set you've set yourself in such a convenient position that no one can tell you you're wrong because your hermeneutical rule is God told me. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, for sure. And so something the Holy Spirit doesn't do on that line is he doesn't guarantee perfect interpretation mm -hmm. right just because i have the holy spirit doesn't mean i can perfectly uh interpret it uh and something else he can do is he can give uh, us wisdom through the word right mm -hmm. circumstantially right so it doesn't say in the word if i should buy that house or that house yeah but the bible tells me right how i go about making that decision Absolutely. By abiding in Christ, by having wise counsel, by being in prayer, mm -hmm. right? Uh, employing rules for making godly decisions, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and and we thank the Holy Spirit for for uh, making that process of making decisions so valuable to our hearts and, and the truth, the right way of doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, here's another, I mean, I love all these points, but uh, here's another one I love. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to apply the meaning of the text adequately to one's life, to our life. And I think um, I'm thinking of a general example throughout, especially throughout the Gospels of the disciples. Think about how many times Jesus told them something directly or was telling a parable and they had no clue what he was actually talking right, about, yeah. like yeah. none whatsoever. But the reality is, is that's me, that's you, that's you, the listener, apart from the Holy Spirit, illuminating the scripture to you, we're the exact same. Absolutely. And these are guys who walked, ate, slept beside, uh, rode in, uh, rode in boats with across the Sea of Galilee, witnessed miracles and sermon after sermon and miracle after miracle. And half the time they didn't have a, they didn't have a clue in the world what was actually being taught or what was actually happening right. until the Holy Spirit was given to them. Yeah. And then it was like, boom, all of a sudden they're like, okay, now we, now we actually are able to understand because we have the Holy Spirit. So yeah. he's absolutely necessary. Um, when it comes to being able to um, to open the Bible and to actually have it make sense. <laughs> yeah, actually have it affect you. And that's why our job when we preach the gospel is to preach what it says. Our job isn't to make it effectual or not. Mm -hmm. That's the Holy Spirit's role. Right? Yeah. And so I heard the gospel many times before I got saved, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Holy Spirit didn't make it effectual yet in my life, right? And so that's... Uh, basically what we mean when it comes to interpretation. Anyone can, or to hermeneutics of 
an interpretation is anyone can read it, but it, it won't become real and effectual in their life unless the Holy Spirit yeah. is first sh shedding light on it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but this doesn't do away, in, uh, where's the point here? Number eight, do, he doesn't do away with study helps, mm -hmm. right? Like I was saying before, he doesn't do away with the brain, right? <laughs> he doesn't do away with, um, if it doesn't make sense to the to the brain, like logically, mm -hmm. uh, God is a God of logic, like mm -hmm. it flows out of him. That's right. He's literally the cornerstone. The logos, he makes sense, makes sense. He's yep. the cornerstone of logic. That's, Absolutely. That's what logos meant to the Greek, right? Uh, and so if it doesn't make sense mm. logically, and the reason we can think logically is because we have the Bible, right? Like, or else where's our cornerstone of logic? Because logic builds off the premise before it. Right, so if Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone of logic, all logic actually builds off him. So it doesn't make sense. It's it's a bad interpretation, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, use study helps, right? Like use BibleHub.org. Go to the Greek. What does this Greek word mean? Go to the commentary. Do cross references. Learn the history. Like it's yeah. just so rich. And then then you can leave that study and be like, this is what God said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One thing I think we can we can say and I I don't know how anyone could genuinely um say that this is not true without knowing that they were just giving an excuse and and it's an excuse I used to give is here we are in the year 2021 but you know thinking back to technology on my iPad that's in front of me I have access to commentaries to to different translations, to historical documents, to extra biblical historical documents that confirm scripture, uh, like Josephus, for an example, if you ever want to look at him, he confirms a lot of biblical stuff and he wasn't even a Christian. Um, at my fingertips, at your fingertips, we have access to so many amazing resources to do with the faith, with, with reading our Bibles. And so we do not have an excuse. And, and there's a point here that says lack of spiritual preparation can hinder correct interpretation. And I'm just going to meld the, this next point into it, actually. There's no substitute. And there is no substitute, substitute for diligent study. Right. There's no excuse. There's we no don't excuse. have an excuse. Yeah. We're, we're not pre-Reformation where we're sitting in mass and we're not allowed to read. Maybe, well, half yeah. the people couldn't even read back Absolutely, then. Yeah. And plus it was in Latin. Yeah. But then the, these guys who literally shed their blood, yeah. literally, so that we could read the Bible in our own language. Yeah. And we have access to all of these things. So we are absolutely without excuse. Yeah. But we don't want to be held accountable. That's the, that's the thing, man. Like hermeneutics are, like I said, our flesh hates it. Yeah. Right? Because now, now we have to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Not just by God but by his church. That's right. Ooh, right? Yeah. And we don't like that. Yep. We don't want to I don't want to be held accountable to how, how I get to my points in the Bible. I want to be lazy and just say, "Hey, bro, let's agree to disagree." Yeah. That's nowhere <laughs> in the Bible. No, it's not. Not when it comes to local church. <laughs> yeah. Paul says be of one mind. You cannot mm -hmm. do that without hermeneutics. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, solid hermeneutics. <laughs> solid hermeneutics. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, why don't you pick uh, pick one more here for us, and then I I, I definitely want to hit okay. the uh, the six crucial parts, uh, and then we'll end on that after. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, this last point, 13. I guess it ends on it. I don't know if you have that one written down. <laughs> I added to no, 13. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to read this quote. Uh, that one ties into what we already said. Yeah. Uh, hermeneutics doesn't allow for individualistic Christianity. Mm. So that's a sum- summary of what we were just saying. Absolutely. But here's, I really like what um, Richard Baxter says here. Uh, he's, a, he's a reformer. Uh, he says, we don't believe in the sufficiency. Now, well, hear me out here. We don't believe in the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit when it comes to interpretation. Mm. We in, we, but we do hold to the sufficiency of Scripture. Absolutely. Right? And so he doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't make the whole Bible equally clear mm-hmm. just because he's in you. Right? Absolutely. Because sure. yeah. that would actually be void of relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? What if yeah. I, I get married and because I'm married, now I know everything about my wife? Yeah. <laughs> right yeah there's, there's no there's no relationship man. yeah no there isn't that's religion right and 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 not only would we not want to know everything about our wives and vice versa but if if i can fully understand god then he's not god well you both are exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so there totally. there's these beautiful crystal clear yeah uh things in in scripture i'll just give one quick example where where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be any clearer. Right. There, that, that kills universalism. That kills any other way to Jesus. There's one way because God himself incarnate said he was the only way. Yeah. Boom. Done. Yeah. And you just used hermeneutics there. You, 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 did, uh, you did an aim. Right, not you did the author's intended meaning. So yeah. you you unpacked who the author was there, who's saying this? Jesus. Yep. <laughs> right. So now that he's saying it, done. <laughs> right. That's, That's it. Right. Totally. Yep. Crystal clear. But so it helps, the, right? So there are all those crystal clear things. But I like what you said. He doesn't make everything equally clear because there's no. there's mysteries about God that we are not meant to comprehend, and we might not ever comprehend. Yeah, who the heck do I think I am? Exactly. Totally. It's, hermeneutics is. I I like I like. Uh, how you just said that exactly who do we think we are it's very humbling super humbling Her- yeah, hermeneutics absolutely. is humbling to us it kills our pride mm-hmm. which is what i mean i don't know about you bro but i need my pride i that's one of the things i struggle with a lot and i need it to just be crushed yeah. like absolutely crushed where it's like nope yeah. you're wrong this is what god's word clearly says and that's really where the trust in word in the word comes from that was a huge part of my walk with the Lord is one day I just, just I threw my hands up. I said, "Okay, I'm just gonna do what your word says." Yeah, <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? and, and it was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like what it actually says, even when it goes against my feelings, right? And hermeneutics, mm-hmm. like tested and tried in our life, uh, it's a lot easier to do that. Mm-hmm. The more you do it, because you're like, it's never he's never failed me. Exactly, <laughs> right? That's never true. failed me, man. Yeah, yeah. everything, everything has to submit to scripture everything yeah our feelings our opinions what our mom thinks what our best friend thinks what our pastor thinks right if it doesn't submit to scripture yeah. bye bye yeah see you right. later yeah um okay let's let's end on uh some crucial elements for proper interpretation and then we'll uh we'll wrap it up yeah i'll just go through them if sure. you want yeah yeah, yeah. salvation obviously because <laughs> uh you need the spirit <laughs> in you as we talked about yep spiritual maturity uh, so moving on. Uh, so this is this is really John 15, where Jesus is like, Abide in me and I in you. 
So there is something that comes with uh, experience and time spent mm. in abiding with the Lord through his word. Uh, diligent study. So this is, and not that's just not just because you're diligent, because uh, there's a lot of diligent people out there doing crazy things, but it's, it's effort done correctly, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you're going to work out, work out correctly with the right form definitely right with the right you, workout buddies, otherwise man. you're going to hurt yourself yeah and you're gonna it's actually going to be counter right yep. common sense and logic uh so we think critically because we think biblically mm. right the bible teaches how to think biblically uh humble dependence on the holy spirit for discernment you're talking there uh, patience i may not be allowed to know this right now right grace in the face of each other, mm-hmm. right? Showing each other that, uh, like, we don't want to give grace for blatant disregard for, right? right? Yep. <laughs> but we want to give grace for time. Totally. Right, for diligent, like not, when people get saved, they don't have all the skills. Exactly. <laughs> right? So if we're, if we're dealing with a new believer who's drinking spiritual milk, yeah. we've got to have a lot of grace. Yeah. Because they may not know and, and, but juxtapose that to, to someone uh, like myself. Uh, this is this is how I used to be, who who claimed to be a Christian for X amount of years, and and just was stubborn and arrogant in yeah. in what I believed. And, and you I, also have to have grace for me too, right? Mm-hmm. Because because I am like the incarnation as well. Right? I am human, and the Holy Spirit's in me, right. which means your pastor is going to get it wrong. Yep. Right. Like. Yeah. Uh, nobody's perfect. Right? Even sure. our even our pastors, and we right. can't we can't expect our pastors to be perfect. Otherwise, yeah. we're we're completely kidding ourselves. Yeah. Um. Did you have something else to say? Otherwise, I was going to say on, the honest moment. I think that's good. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. Honest yeah. moment here, you guys. This is for all of us. Uh, the most the the thing that hinders us the most that we bring to to interpretation with us is us it's our presuppositions our experience our opinion our emotion all of all of the above right that is the number one thing we are fallen human beings yes if if we're in christ we're white as snow Um, as far as the east is from the west god has forgotten our transgressions we can we can we can come to god and we can uh, in the spiritual sense face to face with him Abba Father, but at the same time, just like Paul talks about at the end of Romans chapter 7, there's a war going on. Hmm. And there, there's a war that is going to go on until the day that we die and, and we get our glorified bodies and we're in eternity with Christ. And that war is our flesh, just like you mentioned earlier, Jordan, hates accountability. Hmm. We do not want to submit to anyone because uh, I can't remember if this is a John Edwards quote, and I'm paraphrasing it, but... My heart is is an idol factory. It's just constantly wanting to manufacture idols, and the number one idol is me. Right. I want to I want to do what I want to do. I want to think what I want to think because it makes me feel comfortable. Yeah, and the easiest way is to exercise those out. Uh, and I don't mean like get rid of, but like put the, <laughs> put the, put the idols yeah. into practice in our life is is by misinterpreted verses. Yeah, right? eisegetical verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I read a quote once that, uh, this is from Spurgeon, he says that you won't be faulted for what you're truly ignorant of, mm. 
but you will be faulted for not trying to find out what you are ignorant of. Yeah, that's good. And that has to do with our presupposition. So a good person uh, or someone who's good at hermeneutics is constantly on the on the lookout to learn their presuppositions, their yeah. personal, where their, their, their evil bents are, where so they'll me. naturally try to slip or try to put themselves in yeah. to, to learn. And the Bible does that. It reveals to you your presuppositions, mm-hmm. right? So it's both ends. Yeah. When I open the Bible by the grace of God alone and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, when I open it, and not always, but now more more than uh, more than not, my my desire and my prayer is when I open that Bible, I'm like, God, show me, show me how I can submit to Your Word today as I open it. Right. That's it. Yeah, and that's a hermeneutical rule. Like, pray first, ask the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. for guidance here. So Absolutely. you're instantly putting humility on this on the front stage right yeah um i do have a f- just a few uh hit it yeah just a few arrows for your quiver of <laughs> hermeneutical tools let's do it okay uh these are these are a few hermeneutical rules that have been carried on through the historical grammatical method throughout the years and so one most important is scripture best interpret scripture okay Amen. it, it that's the best. That gets rid of our opinion. And it's amazing, eh? Yep. Like how um, if you're if you're if you're diligent and you're genuine about your diligence, uh, it's amazing how many questions I have asked about the Lord that have not been answered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, totally. Yeah. yeah. Here's another one. A loving father doesn't speak in code. Mm, that's good. That's a hermeneutical rule, right? That's like good. we come to the text with that, that if I love my child. I'm not going to like, mm-hmm. I, I want to comfort him. I want to prepare him. I want, you know what I mean? Like, I'm That's not right. going to speak in code. I'm going to make it clear yep. for this person, right? So that they don't get destroyed by the darkness, if 100%. you percent. You and yeah. I both have young kids and and they're, they're 18 months to four years old, the span of yep. our three kids yep. combined. I speak crystal clear to my children because I want to give them the best chance to be obedient. Yeah. And you're a fallen father, yeah. right? Imagine a perfect father. Exactly. Right? Uh, I think Jesus might have talked about that once. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, so uh, another rule, the more ambiguous passage or verse must su- su- submit to the clearer one, mm-hmm. right? So if there's a passage that doesn't fully explain something that, you know, like it brings something up, maybe it's in a narrative form, uh, like in, uh, you know, whatever, Acts or whatever, um, but there's a clearer teaching on it in an epistle, mm-hmm. right? That that unclearer one <laughs> needs to submit because why? God doesn't change, right? That's right. So he might just say it clearer somewhere else or more fully or more understanding, right? Um, here's a good one. Read literally unless it's clearly not literal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we, and we'll, ex- we'll expound on that more too when we get, in, get into later uh, episodes about genres right. but yeah yeah so here, here could be a shot to the gut there's, there's no allegory in the bible mm. right uh if you're listening that hits you in the gut uh go study it out <laughs> for sure uh and here's a good one for humility again all good theology starts with the mystery of god and mm. ends with the mystery of god mm. we're not trying to make an advocacy here for relativism right yeah. that we can't know the truth which we really wish we couldn't because we're you're not you're not held accountable to a riddle, 
Yeah. You're held accountable to a clear teaching. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but my theology is different than God's. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I want to yeah. know where, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I pray he tells me. Uh, but that there are aspects to scripture that we cannot reconcile in our brain. Uh, but we can we can understand two truths, but we not we might not be able to reconcile those two truths together. And that's a part of faith in hermeneutics for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna end here with a uh, Charles Spurgeon quote. You had a Charles Spurgeon on, quote? I didn't even know you had Everybody that. Has a Charles Spurgeon I got one quote. too. I love it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this this is this is the heart behind it, right? Uh, like I mentioned at the start, the heart behind this is to know Christ, and the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scriptures, and his his mm. chief purpose. Amen is to point us to the cross. That is his chief purpose in our lives, is to show us the cross of Christ, his perfect life, his deity, his death, his resurrection, his victory over sin and death. Um, And so let me end with this. Uh, This is a Charles, Charles Spurgeon quote. I may know all the doctrines of the Bible, but unless I know Christ, there is not one of them that can save me. Mm. This does not, this quote here from arguably one of the greatest preachers of all time, uh, it definitely doesn't do away with hermeneutics because he says, but unless I know Christ. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. Hermeneutics is how we know Christ. That's the entire point is to know our Lord and Savior better so we can worship him better. Mm. Better, not that it's ever going to be perfect this side of heaven because it's not because we're human still. But that is the trajectory of our hearts. That is our goal. That is our heart behind it is not for intelligence sake, not for intellect or argument sake. It is to exalt the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we employ solid hermeneutics. Amen. And I think think we end there. That's it, man. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks so much, bro, for for joining me on this one. And... uh, Looking forward to doing some more of these hermeneutic ones. This is, I think it's, this is good stuff. Like, uh, this is the last thing I'll say here to, to you, the listener. Um, this stuff is 18 months, 24 months new to me. It's something I wasn't taught before. And I'm so thankful that, that I, that God brought me to a, to a place into a, a biblical church community where I'm actually learning these things because man, it just, it helps me to fall in love with, with Jesus even more. Hmm. And that's the whole point. Like, like I've mentioned probably a thousand times already. Amen. <laughs> Love you, bro. Thank, thanks again. And uh, looking forward to the next one. Love you too, buddy.
Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin. The effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark state. Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.